Hello and welcome to the November 14th, 2018 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe. This is my neighborhood. This is my life. But this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. It is awesome to have everybody here with me today, and of course, it's always wonderful to be out there with you as well. So let me start by, first and foremost, apologizing to everybody for taking this long to record an episode. I never like going this uh, many days in between episodes, but if you can't tell by now, based on the sound of my voice, Mr. Joe has actually had a pretty bad cold uh, since, I'd say, about Friday of last week. Actually, it started more around Saturday or Sunday, uh, but Friday was not without issue uh, because that was actually the last time that I had prepared to do a podcast episode. So on 11-9 which was Friday again. I had every intention of recording an episode. As a matter of fact, I was sitting in my car and I had perfectly planned out the opportunity to record based on the fact that my ex-wife had asked if she could, instead of driving my son, my older son, Junior, to my home on Friday, she asked if she could drive him to my work instead because it would be easier for her. Well, let's put it this way. She was supposed to be at my job by about 5.15, so I said, you know, all right, I'll wait 15 minutes longer than I have to, not a big deal. She had not even picked up my son by 5.15 from his friend's house. Why he was at his friend's house when he was supposed to be coming to dad's, I have no idea, but she has absolutely no control of the situation. Um, She wasn't even in the car. It was bad weather, Um, so I went home. I said, I'm going home. Now, I had planned on... Um, anticipating that, of course, she wouldn't have been there by 5.15. I, I always know she's late, so it would have given me about 30 minutes. I would have started recording about 5 o'clock, but instead my phone rang around 5.05, and she told me I'm not here yet. I actually had started to record, and then I ended up having to stop everything and just kind of erased it. And Unfortunately, then I got... Um, pretty sick. And I got to tell you, I haven't been sick with a cold in an extremely long time. And there is no doubt about it that, um, and and I apologize if I have to put you guys on pause, I may have to because the sneezing is actually out of control. Um, But I, I think there's no doubt that this cold was either brought on by two, one of two things, possibly both. One, the fact that I am once again on antibiotics okay, based on this tooth issue, and I'll get into that in a moment, Um, or two, the fact that I am, and when I say antibiotics, sometimes you, you, while you're trying to fight an infection, if you go on antibiotics too many times, and for Mr. Joe, somebody who hasn't been on antibiotics in years, to be on antibiotics two times in the last month, while you can fight bacterial infections, It also, at the same time, oftentimes will weaken your immune system to some extent, or at least 
for Mr. Joe, it makes me vulnerable to viruses. And it's clear that I caught a cold virus. And um, throw on top of that the other reason as to why I probably came down with this, and this is the amount of stress that I've been under, based on this tooth. Now, um, it's sad that I cannot even recall whether or not I... um, informed everybody about my visit to the ENT, but just to give you a quick um, update, if I haven't already, I went to an ENT, and I believe I said this already on my podcast, they feel it is the tooth that is causing the problems because my sinuses are perfectly clear, they're sending me for a CAT scan, they believe the tooth has penetrated the sinus wall, which is causing the infections, hence causing the pain, hence going to be the reason as to why this implant eventually has to come out. And I got to tell you guys, I'm miserable. I'm absolutely miserable because if this is what it is, and the other thing that it could be is a nerve, that it's actually hitting a nerve, which is causing the pain. I could live with that if that was the case, because eventually I just learned to live with it. But the fact that an infection is reoccurring leads me to believe that it's not a nerve. It has something to do with the sinus wall. As a matter of fact, I had some dental work done yesterday, um, regular dental work, just a couple of cavities filled. And when I told my dentist what the ENT had said, he was pretty much in agreement with with the um, diagnosis of what she came up with. Again, we won't know anything until the CAT scan, so we can't assume anything until we know for sure, but we do know that there is an infection there. Um, I'm about... Let's see, Thursday I started. I only took one that day, maybe two. So we'll count Thursday of last week, the first day of antibiotics. Here we are on Wednesday. So it hasn't even been six days, or I'm on my sixth day. I'm on a total of 10 days of antibiotics, and I have to tell you that I've already improved by about 60% in terms of the overall pain. So which, again, leads me to believe that this is, without a doubt, an infection. The problem is, once it clears up, is it going to come back? Now... I believe wholeheartedly that because I was only on seven days last time, it never actually had a chance to clear up. So my hope is that from from a hygiene perspective, because I never learned the proper way of cleaning this implant, it developed into an infection, one that we never addressed properly, and now we are addressing it properly, so once it goes away, it's gone. I don't think that's the case, though, because the, the other interesting thing is, again, it's up inside, like high up near the nose. It's not near the screw opening. You know, the screw protrudes in a sense from the gum. And that part is fine. I have no infection there. It's something at the tip of the screw on the other end that is causing the problem. Not the screw part that's sticking out, but up inside towards the bone, towards the upper jaw, whatever you want to call it. And guys, let's let's be real here. The majority of my podcast audience, I have to assume, has never had the experience of walking around without a front tooth. I'm not saying that many of you have not. I do have a lot of listeners, so the, the statistics are probably a little bit higher than I think. But here's what it comes down to. Most of you have never experienced this before. And I'm not looking for sympathy by any stretch of the imagination, but... I just want you to put yourself in my position, somebody who dealt without a tooth in the front for two and a half years and had a flipper tooth, which was 
essentially a fake tooth that had to stick up into the roof of your mouth and give the impression as if you had a front tooth because it fit in perfectly and so that tooth was just sticking there and looked like you had a tooth but it was uncomfortable you had to learn how to talk with it you couldn't eat with it you had to spit it out and hide um it it was just horrifying this went on for two and a half years so when it finally gets done and you're so grateful to now have what you consider to be once again a working front tooth only for that to go wrong a short time after and to recognize the fact that you're going to go through this all over again it's just heartbreaking it really is so ultimately when i woke up friday and i go back to friday because it was only a a short period of time after my visit with the ENT, ENT in which i got this news that it could potentially be the sinus wall which ultimately if i wanted to really fix it would be a set of two different surgeries one being a sinus lift well, really three. Two, being the removal of the screw. Three, doing the bone graft over. And really four, doing the implant again. So probably taking another full year and a half for that process to complete. Um, and I'm in no mood to do that again, guys. So I woke up Friday morning and the sadness that was literally hovering over my body and brain was just unbearable. As a matter of fact, there were actually suicidal thoughts, um, or more, more appropriately put, thoughts of death. And there's a difference. There is a difference. So I don't want to use the word suicide because I did not conjure up an idea in which way to kill myself. I did not think of ways to end my life, but I did think along the lines that being dead would be a lot easier than everything that I was dealing with in terms of my physical health. And listen, let's be realistic, everybody. People have it a hell of a lot worse than an implant problem and a tooth problem. People are are living with cancer and living with diabetes and living with bipolar disorder (laughs) and living with schizophrenia and living with, uh, you know, HIV, I mean, the things that, you know, certain things that are devastating. And I'm sure many of you out there have your own illness. And I don't minimize anything based on, you know, nothing is, everybody's got their own problems. And I never say one problem is less or more than another problem. It is what you make it. And it is what it means to you. With that being said, does an implant failure promote the ideas of death i don't know maybe when you have bipolar disorder it does and eventually those ideas of death and ways in which i would die or could die eventually led to thoughts of suicide and while again it wasn't a conjuring up of a plan to commit it it was more of a well what if what if i just killed myself what if I just took my life and, you know, ended all this misery that I'm feeling? And, and, and for the first time in a long time, I felt as almost like the physical pain was equal to that of the mental anguish, if that makes any sense at all. They were neck and neck. And because I felt them both, I said, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to live. It's been a long time since I felt that way, which, by the way, 
Valar, I don't even remember the name of the medicine that was prescribed to me that treats mania and those ruminating thoughts, but I wouldn't even dare put that medicine in my body. I have not tried it. I have not started it, especially when she told me that it works more for mania rather than depression. I said, man, I can't go a notch lower than I am already now. I'm not even daring to do this. So I have not started that medication. And ironically enough, by the time I got up and out of the door on Friday morning, I started to feel much better. And even more interestingly enough, and at this point in time, should I really find it to be that groundbreaking of news? Being somebody that is a rapid cycler. By the way, the mixed episodes have really subsided. If you notice, Mr. Joe has really been talking about one or the other during one particular time of the day or the week or the month or whatever I'm feeling usually just comes in one form of bipolar depression or bipolar mania. However, the cycling has, uh, has certainly not gone away because by the time my workday was over, I realized that I was back into mania mode. And I noticed it. I did a bunch of phone interviews on Friday. And I was a, I was a madman. I was an absolute wackadood madman on that phone. And I realized at the end of the day, even more so now, that the phone interviews, which were supposed to be about somebody else and their experience and, you know, why they would be right for the job and the, the the interviews were 95% about me. I really realized that. And I didn't realize it until, the, until after I would hang up. I would say, man, I, the next interview, i got to get my stuff together here and let these people talk. And then the next interview would happen, and it would be even worse than the last one. I could not control it. I absolutely could not control it. I could not control my rate of speech, could not control my excitement, could not control my good mood cannot control my confidence, my expertise, or at least me claiming that I had all this expert expert knowledge, uh, promising things that probably I could not fulfill, and ultimately then having a one-on-one in-person interview for a very high-profile position in which I have to hire somebody, and I got to tell you, I got into a dispute with this person over salary, which is absolutely not like me. Um, And when I say a dispute, again, it was more of a very cocky mentality that that I presented with. And it's just so not like me. And again, I realized it afterwards that I kind of went back and forth with this lady. Now, ultimately, I I stood my ground, but I could have stood my ground not necessarily on more of a professional level, because I certainly did not treat anybody poorly, but I acted like a cocky, conceited, overconfident, know-it-all, manic moron. Really. You want to call me an MM. A manic moron. That's what I consider myself to be on Friday. And it, it, it goes into this, okay? And, and hear me out here. You know, we talk all the time about bipolar disorder and the moods that shift. And I know that I've, I've addressed in the past, based on a few of my different episodes, the difference between is it stress or is it bipolar disorder? And I want to take that even a step further and say to myself, 
not is it just stress, but is it life-altering experiences? Is it bad news? Is it the inability to deal with life in general? Because everything that presented to you, presented your way, seems to be bad. Is it the fact that all that happens and that puts you in a bad mood? Or, or are we truly cycling and truly dipping down into depression or spiking up into mania? And I only ask this question because I am going through what I'm going through right now. And that being with my implant. And I know I keep going back to that, but it's a, it's a troublesome thing for me. You know, work is definitely an issue. I'm, I'm stressed out about work. I really am. Um, I got a big load to carry, big, big responsibility. I'm enjoying it, but it's a lot to handle. You know, I'm stressed out about money, stressed out about my ex-wife. I'm stressed out about my children. I'm stressed out about the fact that I'm having another child. But more importantly, again, I'm stressed out about my physical health and what I'm going to have to go through again with my front tooth. And it leads me to ask the question, am I putting myself in a bad mood and then eventually just kind of forgetting about it and allowing my my true Mr. Joe to come through, which is happens to be a happy-go-lucky kind of guy. And, you know, that occurs after the sadness occurs, and I view it as up and down, up and down. I don't know. I don't know. Or is it the bipolar disorder that is being affected by stress? And I, I guess it would be nice if there were one simple answer to the question, or even better... Maybe if there was like a blood test of some sort or an MRI or a brain scan to determine whether or not we actually have bipolar disorder. And, and listen, I am not questioning the fact of whether or not I have bipolar disorder because with the amount of medication that I'm on, which is probably not half as much as many of you out there, I'd be a complete loony bird if um, you know I wasn't on this medication. Clearly, clear as day that a mood stabilizer and an antidepressant is what I need to stay relatively stable. And without it, I'd be banging my head through a wall. That, to me, is some kind of a mental illness. And, you know, whatever it might be, the medicine's certainly helping. But unfortunately, for those of you who might be wondering whether or not you are bipolar or if it's just life in general that has you up and down, because let's face it, People do get depressed. Depression is a natural part of life. We with bipolar disorder just experience these elongated, overwhelming depressions that make us question our life and whether or not we want to go on, which I believe pushes us past that, past that threshold of that, that typical depression. But, you know, for those of you who are unsure, you know, possibly not medicated yet, it's, it's, it goes without saying that I could understand you questioning whether stress and life-altering experiences are just messing up your mood or if you're bipolar. And unfortunately, you know, speaking about blood tests and MRIs and, you know, all those things to determine whether or not we actually have bipolar, well, unfortunately, we're not there yet. Now, again, we do have a set of symptoms which exist on a broad, broad continuum, a broad spectrum. And what gets tricky is identifying where the threshold lies between that normal functioning level and our 
psychological state. Now, one of the things, one positive, I guess you can call it, that I observe a lot of times is that without question, at least with myself, with, he, with, he, with, with at least Mr. Joe, making that clinical assessment, whether it be um, started, the, pro, the process started by yourself, ultimately brought to the attention of a doctor, and a doctor then again finishes that clinical assessment, is that when they render the fact that you do have bipolar uh, bipolar diagnosis or bipolar disorder, that oftentimes helps us begin to make sense of the entire experience, the entire misery that we've been going through, the inability to keep our emotions in check, the inability to control our anger, the rage that we have on the road, the idiotic things that we do that a normal person would never do. It, it, it allows us to finally make sense of what we are going through. And instead of becoming all bent out of shape by that diagnosis, it, it, it is actually common to hear that expression of relief as finally knowing what the hell is wrong with me. And it, listen, I've said it myself. Oh, wow. Now I finally get it. I finally get what the hell is wrong with Mr. Joe. And allowing that clinical diagnosis to take place, it opens the process of being able to deal with it, which ultimately brings me back to the question, where does being a moody wackadoo or a moody person, let's not even call us a wackadoo, just a moody overall person cross over into the realm of bipolar disorder? And I, I'll give you a, a classic example, something that goes on with Mr. Joe. I put everybody on pause. I apologize. I don't know if you heard the ringing, but um, my wife called me with some actually relatively good news. So I'm not going to get into that because it has to do with her job. Um, and I promised that I would stay away from speaking about anything that has to do with um, my former company, but she's very happy there. Um, she really loves what she's doing and that's really what it comes down to. Um, you know, I, I, listen, I'll say this. I love my ex team. They mean the world to me and, um, I always will. So anyway, um, I, I think I was painting a picture of a classic scenario specifically in which, you know, Mr. Joe goes through and maybe you can relate to this, you know, and, and if you can, this is something to think about, like, here, listen, listen to this. I mean, I'm going about my everyday life, right? Just, you know, Mr. Joe's in his neighborhood, chilling out and going through life. And all of a sudden, I notice that I'm starting to feel a little bit more upbeat and energized. And of course, which we've addressed many times in the past, especially with my audience as well as my doctor, that my mind now is starting to move a lot faster than it usually is. And I have this creative high that generates all kinds of beautiful, wonderful, bright, intelligent outcomes. 
And I, I embrace it. I embrace that sense of optimism and that well-being, that beautiful feeling of being on a high. Like there is just floating on air. You know, now all of a sudden, <laughs> and you, tell me if you could relate to this. All of a sudden, all the money issues that Mr. Joe has, well, they're all gone. They're all gone. They disappear. And now I want to spend money simply because it feels so good to do it. You know, I mean, screw it, man. I'll make more of it. doesn't matter that I'm in $5,000 debt on this card, 10000 on this. I, I maxed out this card. Oh, who cares? feels good. And really what it comes down to is I'm so confident that I'll come up with new means of covering my expenses. Even though I don't have the exact plan, my mind is racing well enough to say, well, I could work this, I could do that, I'll cover this, and who cares? Just spend. It feels good, so I know I could cover it. What's the big deal? You might as well. You're a hard worker. So for now, none of it matters, basically. And there's so much to accomplish and so much to do. And I guess, you know, two hours, three hours, four hours, five hours maximum, that amount of sleep. Well, that seems just about enough to recharge Mr. Joe's batteries and easily keep me energized throughout the entire next day. And all this is happening on its own. You know, nothing prompted it. Nothing at all. I didn't win the lotto. You know, I didn't fall in love. and I have a new romance that's got me butterflies in my stomach. I didn't win, a, win an award at work. I am so sorry, but I had another phone call. If, if you heard that, I apologize, but I had to cut you guys off. Um, so I think I, I think I ended up saying something along the lines is, you know, nothing special happens in life that, makes you feel that way. Nothing mind-blowing and life-altering that gives you these feelings. I think I use the example of winning an award at work or becoming employee of the month. You know, nothing. Nothing happens. It's all just coming your way because your mind is bringing it, bringing it in. And for Mr. Joe, I want to hold on to it and cherish that high for as long as I possibly can. But with Mr. Joe, and some of you may be able to relate to this, after a few days, for some of you maybe a little bit longer, with Mr. Joe, who's a rapid cycler, maybe in a, even after a day or two, that intense high you know, begins to feel a little bit too much, and it starts to get a little, a little ragged, a little ragged around the edges. And... All of a sudden, the irritability starts to creep in and gradually replaces the euphoria. And that lessened need for sleep all of a sudden transforms into exhaustion. And maybe, possibly, I know with Mr. Job, maybe even a little insomnia, you know, which is very different than being able to stay up because you have so many things that are on your mind and so many things that you want to do and you have so much energy. Insomnia is a worse thing than that. Insomnia is like, man, I want to go to bed, but I can't. And I'm still exhausted. And then all of a sudden that sense of dread creeps in. 
and all that wonderful stuff, all the good things that are happening, all the good feelings in life that you're feeling, well, they're all starting to turn sour. And the next thing you know, you're crashing harder and harder and harder and faster. And think about this. Here you are crashing, but you take a look around you and at the world around you, and you analyze what's happening, and you realize that nobody passed away. There's no bad news. You didn't get fired from your job. You didn't lose in a sports game. You didn't, uh, you know, get into a fight with a family member or, or, a, or a good friend. In fact, it all just ends the way that it started for no clear apparent reason at all. Except that your brain is completely overworked and your reserve of resilience is completely on empty because you have bipolar disorder. So I guess what I'm trying to say is for those of you who would like to embark on what we could call a beginning self-diagnosis of bipolar disorder, and listen, nobody should take on the task of diagnosing themselves with bipolar disorder. You need to get to a doctor. But to summarize what I've just said, if you're getting the highs and you're getting the lows and you're looking at your surrounding circumstances in life and none of them seem as if they should be triggering those highs and lows, meaning that everything is just kind of the same in life. Nothing, nothing out of the ordinary has happened, yet you're still feeling this way. You're still up, you're still down, it's still lasting, it's still going away, it's still, you know, it, it, it's analyze the things around you. Which, does it help Mr. Joe answer his questions about himself? Not really. Not really, because if I think about it, to some extent, I am so used to being able to recognize the true symptoms of mania that I can pretty much tell when it's coming on. And I feel like it's coming on. I really do. Or I feel like it was happening, let's say, Friday. But, and maybe this is helpful, maybe the fact that that depressive state was surrounded by those circumstances of physical health and the tooth, and all those stressors that I talked about in life, well, maybe maybe it just wasn't a depressive episode, and which is why I was able to pull myself out of it and just go on with my day. Because the circumstances surrounding my life caused me to be just a plain old depressed person. Now, when I acted the way that I did on the phone, no circumstances had changed. Let's put it this way. My tooth didn't get better. <laughs> you know, it was still the same, if not, you know, worse. For all I know, the pain could have got worse, but it didn't matter. It didn't matter because at that point in time, Mr. Joe was suffering from what he typically suffers from with bipolar 1, which is that mania. That mania that makes Mr. Joe want to do drugs, makes Mr. Joe want to get drunk, makes Mr. Joe want to snort cocaine, makes Mr. Joe want to smoke marijuana, makes Mr. Joe want to pop opiates, you know, all those things that we, we as addicts spend a lifetime literally battling each and every day. And either we fold to it 
or we remain strong, really, is what it comes down to. And strong in the sense where, you know, we follow whatever regimen of rules that we have embarked or emplaced in ourselves, whether it be a, you know, an AA, an NA, uh, medication-assisted treatment such as Suboxone or uh, Methadone, whatever it may be, you know, um, keeps us on the straight path. Um, but, you know, the deeper or the higher we go into mania a lot of times, the harder it is to control, hence the spending. And, you know, believe me, if, if Mr. Joe wasn't able to recognize that I actually have a problem, it is so much easier now, knowing that I'm diagnosed, that when these feelings of wanting to spend come along, I kind of know they're unnatural. Whereas in the past, when I had no clue and I was in that phase of like, well, I can't make any sense out of this. I just go with my feelings, go with my gut. You know, you don't care about spending. You don't care about any of that. So measure the world around you in the sense where if things have remained stagnant, no significant changes in life and circumstances, yet you are feeling up for an extended period of time or down for an extended period of time, guess what? It is time to open up. I was going to say open up the yellow book. (laughs) I don't think we do that anymore. Sadly, we just hit the Google button. Okay, and search for a clinical diagnostic medical professional such as a psychiatrist. Get your butt to a doctor and start letting them know about the things that are happening to you because the quicker you get this under control, the less damage you will do in your life and the quicker you can turn your life around and start to function like a halfway normal person (laughs) because that's about as far as Mr. Joe can get. Halfway normal. Now, in closing, I'd like to say that with a mental illness and you're doing well, I ask that you continue to work hard. If you love or you care about somebody with a mental illness, I ask that you continue to support that person in the very best way that you know how. And if you are struggling right now with a mental illness or an addiction, I ask you to keep fighting, to keep battling as hard as you possibly can, and most importantly, soldier on. Thank you for listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Everybody have a great day, and I will talk to you again real soon. Thank you.